Welcome and happy 2020 from the Opus Crash Course. I'm your host, Jessica Nesterak. A lot of energy industry press coverage in 2019 was devoted to something called IMO 2020. For those who have not been keeping up or who have been living under a rock, the UN body responsible for shipping passed down a regulation stating that the fuel put into the world's marine fleet needs to drop from 3.5% sulfur to 0.5% sulfur starting January 1st, 2020. Well, guess what? Do 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 do. IMO 2020 is here. So now what? A common theme in last year's coverage was the humongous question mark hanging over IMO 2020 when it comes to supply and, very importantly, oil prices. So today we're joined by Pat Hemsworth, Senior VP at Paragon Global Markets, and Denton Cinquagrana, Chief Oil Analyst at Opus, to talk IMO 2020 specifics now that it's a thing that the market really has to deal with. Pat and Denton, welcome to The Crash Course. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, Pat, can you start by walking us through what needs to happen in the shipping world, practically speaking, now that IMO 2020 is here? We have been looking forward to this for some time, and it's really a very big development in the shipping world and the refining world. And essentially, the world shipping fleet has to transition from 3.5% fuel to 0.5% fuel. And the shipping industry has several choices. They can continue to use the fuel that they're using now, which is high sulfur fuel oil, and install scrubbers, exhaust gas clearing systems, which remove the sulfur from the exhaust and also remove particulate matter. So that is one choice that they would have to make the compliant. The other is to consume one of two different kinds of fuels which are 0.5% sulfur. One would be a very low sulfur fuel oil, which is a residual product mixed with some distillate to make the sulfur mix lower. Or their other choice would be to consume a pure distillate product, which would be either marine gas oil or marine distillate, which has higher boiling point and different specifications. The other thing for new vessels would be to use LNG, which is now becoming more plentiful and cheap. So that's basically the choices that they have going forward. This very low sulfur fuel oil you speak of, tell me a little bit about what that involves for refiners and the process of getting that to market. As I mentioned, there's two different kinds of fuels that could be consumed. One is a residual blend, which is the very low sulfur fuel oil. And that is a residual or a very, very low boiling point product, which is at the very end of the barrel, mixed together with other distillates to reduce the amount of sulfur. Now, What the ships need to comply is a low sulfur product. And number two, they have to have the proper viscosity or the ability to lubricate the engine so that there's no friction within the components of the engine. So what's been going on right now is testing of various different kinds of fuel. And it's really come down to a choice between a pure distillate product or the very low sulfur fuel oil. And so now it's kind of the jury is out as to what products will ultimately take precedence. Some of the advantages of the distillate is that it is made according to a very standard specification and can be widely available by refiners who have simple distillation columns. will definitely be a higher price 
than the very low sulfur fuel oil and use a pure distillate. All that being said, how do refiners get there? There's a variety of ways that refiners could get there. And that brings about some of the questions regarding compatibility with the ships. I mean, the last thing you want to do is have a ship stall out in the middle of the ocean because the fuel that they used in one port doesn't match the fuel they used in a different port. That would be unfortunate. It would be very unfortunate. And as we all know, time is money. So, you know, that's something we're going to find out actually probably pretty quickly as these IMO rules come into play and we go on from there. One of the things that has come up in discussion and in in various different forums is that the marine gas oil actually has a very specific specification and it's created according to this one specification, whereas the very low sulfur fuel oil is a mixture, which is not necessarily compatible from one refiner to another. So that is a challenge. How are various and varied refiners suited to making these different compliant products? There's many different kinds of refineries and they're differentiated by their capabilities and the type of processing units they have to produce petroleum products. And the basic unit in refinery is a distillation column. And that separates heated crude into different petroleum products based on differences in boiling points. So you can have gases at the top and get then gasoline, kerosene jet, distillate, and then at the very bottom, residual fuel oil. And the simplest refineries have only this distillation column and nothing else. And as you become more complex, refineries could include also secondary unit operations, which involve chemical processes, which create products by either reshaping the hydrocarbons or combining smaller hydrocarbons into larger or vice versa to make specialty products. And so the more complex the refineries are, the more secondary units they have. So let's just say you have a simple topping refinery, which has a distillation column. You know, what they will produce essentially is a function of the kind of crude that they put into it. So in this particular case, what we need is more middle distillates and less sulfur So a simple refinery that can buy the proper amounts of crude, say heavy, sweet crudes are probably ideal, like Australian crudes or Sudanese crudes, West African crudes, Brazilian crudes. These are all ideal for a simple refinery to come up with the middle distillate product, which is low sulfur and which is appropriate for, say, marine gas oil use. As far as creating blends, that we discussed the uh, very low sulfur fuel oil. What would happen is at the very bottom of the distillation column would be a high sulfur fuel oil. That could be mixed with a lighter distillate or vacuum gas oil, VGO, is something that could be potentially mixed. And so there could be a blend. But the more complex refineries might have secondary units, like a coker unit, which could take high sulfur fuel oil, which is the bottom of a distillation column, use that as a feedstock to break apart the molecules into distillates, which could then yield specialty products that are low sulfur. And this is where the U.S. is really kind of positioned well for the IMO 2020, particularly on the Gulf Coast, where you've had refineries investing capital investments into putting in these coker units and these units, and they've spent billions of dollars to be able to take this heavy, sour, 
just lousy crude oil and turn it into those usable products. And to Pat's point about VGO in particular, this is where gasoline could come into the mix. Should a refiner find more value, and again, to keep it kind of simple, the stuff that comes out of that crude distillation tower, VGO being the primary one that I'm talking about here, instead of moving it into the one of those secondary units to produce gasoline, obviously for road transportation, if the value is higher in that marine fuel blending market, some of that low sulfur VGO could be diverted to the blending market instead of into making gasoline. So there's a chance that it could have an impact on gasoline. And I think if there is going to be an impact It's going to be in the winter months when gasoline demand is lower, gasoline is cheaper, that marine fuel is probably going to be a little bit more expensive. So probably the first 100 days of the year and the last 100 days of the year is probably when you're going to see some of that diversion. I don't think it's going to happen consistently throughout the year, but that's probably when you would be most likely to see some of those low sulfur VGOs kind of skip the FCC unit and not go into making gasoline, but instead go into the marine fuel blending market. So bottom line, I mean, is this going to be a mess or is there going to be enough supply to go around? The industry has been working on this for a few years and this switch was announced in 2016. So there's been a lot of testing and a lot of preparation. You know, ultimately, I think that we will have enough to go around, but everything will be a matter of price. The advantage goes to the complex refiners and disadvantage to the simple refiners. Those simple refiners are going to have to really kind of pay up for these kind of optimal crudes that there's going to be high demand for to begin with. But suffice to say, the refineries, particularly on the Gulf Coast, kind of sit a little bit in the catbird seat here, you know, as we go forward. So probably more questions than answers at this point. And we're still very early into the process. So again, I think there was some preparation ahead of time. There's been several refiners in their quarterly calls who have, you know, really kind of, for lack of a better term, puffed their chest about how they're ready for the IMO 2020. And, you know, I think they're going to be ready. There's been enough time to prepare for this, I think, from a Mm -hmm. supply standpoint and from a shipper perspective. So I think we're going to see it. But the question is, we're not going to know if this is another Y2K for a couple months into the year. As oil market analysts follow pricing, what relationships have you been noticing in the market that gives you an inkling of what we can expect in 2020 in terms of prices and in terms of price relationships? If you just look at the ultra-low sulfur diesel futures market or the NYMEX or the ultra-low sulfur gas oil contract on the ICE exchange, you're really not going to see much. However, when you look at high sulfur fuel oil, you've already seen those differentials to the lower sulfur versions widen tremendously. When you look at some of the relationships between ULSD and WTI or ULSD and Brent, that's where you're starting to see some of the IMO impact. Well, as far as the ultra-low sulfur diesel, in preparation for the maximum production of distillates and of these new compliant fuels, we saw a very, very heavy turnaround season this fall. And one of the results of that was a very, very steep rise in ultra-low sulfur diesel prices versus WTI. We refer to that as the crack spread, as the distillate crack spread. And so we saw the relationship of New York Harbor, ultra-low sulfur diesel versus WTI, go to $28 basis the nearby month. And now I should say mid-December, it was trading at $24. So This is relatively expensive and has continued to be pretty expensive. So 
this is one result that we've seen. Another thing that we've noticed is that high sulfur fuel oil has gotten much, much cheaper than low sulfur fuel oil. In fact, both the Intercontinental Exchange and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which has a NYMEX, have launched futures contracts for the spread between low sulfur fuel oil and high sulfur fuel oil. And that spread has basically collapsed. So by mid-December, it was trading about $40 discount per barrel. Just because there's no worth for it anymore. Exactly. All that much demand foreseen. So what could potentially happen, and people are watching the price of high sulfur fuel oil, is that if high sulfur fuel oil is cheap enough, it might make sense to actually install scrubbers and consume this high sulfur fuel oil on ships and use that as your solution. Or Russia, for instance, has a tremendous potential to be able to consume high sulfur fuel oil in power generation. So that could be a diversion of high sulfur fuel oil. Or high sulfur fuel oil could be used to in cokers. We talked a little bit about the complexity of U.S. refiners. We have a lot of coking capacity here, and we're building more coking capacity. So the high sulfur fuel oil could potentially be used as feedstock in a coker to produce lighter molecules that are appropriate for bunker consumption. Although what's happening now is kind of what people have feared or anticipated happening, which is a very, very sharp discount of high sulfur fuel oil to low sulfur fuel oil. So that's one price. And more to Pat's point about scrubbers, obviously at one point, this was thought to kind of be the magic bullet around this issue. We expect probably at some point later this year for high sulfur fuel oil demand to kind of pick up just a little bit as some of these ships that have scrubbers installed to start to get onto the market. From beginning to end, from making an investment decision to install a scrubber to getting the scrubber design, scrubbers are not one size fits all. They're very specialized to the ship. Finding dry dock space to get it installed all that probably takes about somewhere between nine months and a year. So there's a backlog of scrubber installation. So we're going to see some more ships with scrubbers installed coming into the fleet throughout the first six months of 2020. So with the high sulfur fuel oil being as cheap as it is, there is going to be some motivation and maybe some ship owners do decide at some point that, hey, you know what? Sure, there's a timeline with making the investment decision, having the scrubber installed, having the ship back in service that says, if this stays a while, I may have to install a scrubber or it may be in my best interest because that return on investment will come around a little bit faster than originally anticipated just because high sulfur fuel oil is so cheap. What else can we anticipate for 2020? I think that, you know, the marketplace in the United States, we're looking to develop a lot more sophisticated refinery capabilities, including hydro crackers and hydro treaters that can shape the bottom end of the barrel and cokers. So we're looking at a lot more capacity coming on in the United States. The other thing, too, is that the old Hovensa refinery in St. Croix is starting, and they're going to focus on primarily being a marine fuels producer. So I think that we should be seeing that. And I also think that we're going to be seeing the sweet crudes 
in demand, the heavy sweet crudes will be at premium. So we're going to be watching the relationships of all of the various different crude prices in order to get a sense about the simpler refiners who are unable to process the lower end of the barrel. There'll be a lot of competition for the heavy sweet barrel. And that's what puts those U.S. refiners that we were talking about earlier that have high conversion that can take some of these heavier, sour crudes and turn them into those useful products, whether it's on-road diesel, whether it's IMO compliant fuel, whether it's gasoline. So that's one of the things that those investments made several years ago are really going to help their margins as we get into 2020. Have there been any changes in the structure of the market as you've seen it, Pat? You know, we discussed a little before about the heavy maintenance program that we had here in the United States in the fall. And so the distillate market was in a backward-dated shape. And what that means is basically the front end of the market, meaning the nearby deliveries, were more expensive than the deferred months. And the forward market. So more expensive near term, cheaper forward out. Exactly. And it was not very dramatic, but when we had the heavy turnarounds, it was somewhat skewed. And now what may happen is that, you know, with the market in a slightly backwardated shape, it means that it's expensive to hold and to store inventory. So, you know, you're paying more to actually store material. So what we would expect is to see people not buying a lot ahead of time, but buying as the year progresses. And so, you know, the market could become even more backwardated as demand picks up for products. Do you have any perspective on that, Denton? Yeah. And again, I think, like you said, Pat, the backwardation could potentially grow. We're still early in the year. So far, we've dodged any kind of major weather. But if we do have, say, another polar vortex and some really cold weather, we're already below kind of normal levels for distillate inventories for this time of year. When you look at the EIA inventory data, we've been below the five-year average for much of the past two years. So Suffice it to say, distillate inventories are tight without the Pez refinery on the East Coast contributing fuel. The East Coast is really kind of susceptible. And when you have a polar vortex, that's as someone who lives in New Jersey, I feel like it kind of focuses strictly on me uh, when there is a polar <laughs> vortex. So, <laughs> and Pat being just across the water from me, I'm sure she feels the same way. So. <laughs> same way. <laughs> but, you know, that's mm-hmm. one of the things to really kind of keep in mind. It's more expensive to hold inventory. And not only that, if you're holding inventory, you're paying more to sell it cheaper later. So again, I could see a scenario where people are kind of living almost hand to mouth as it comes to distillate supply. And should we have any sort of supply disruptions or a demand spike due to really cold weather? That could be disastrous. And that's when it would really kind of show price. I think the one thing that we can say definitely is that, you know, we're really in for, you know, volatile product prices. I think that, you know, the markets for all of the products are going to be recalibrating, responding to a lot of new factors. And, you know, as the market decides also what kind of fuel is optimal for these engines and what kinds of fuels people are going to actually use, you know, we're going to see spreads adjust themselves. Like marine gas oil will most likely be priced based on Dymex ultra-low sulfur diesel. So, you know, we're going to be seeing a whole new kind of product 
slate out there and new pricing. So it's going to be very interesting, very exciting. Well, we're in the early days of these new rules and regulations and realities for the market. So it will be really interesting to see how it pans out in 2020. Pat and Denton, I really appreciate your insights today as we kick the year off. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you. To get more on this topic and to see two really helpful visuals on compliance options in the market and the various ways that crude oil grades fit into the refining picture, please check out blog.opusnet.com slash IMO 2020 fuel regulations. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you never miss an Opus crash course in 2020 by subscribing wherever you connect. And while you're there, give us a shout out in the comments section. Thanks for listening to the Opus crash course. Talk to you soon.